Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today has been sponsored and dedicated in loving memory of Mrs. Lily Safra Lea Shalom, Lilui Nishmat Lea Badova Kohen Vechana, whose philanthropy has reached so many throughout the entire world. Breakfast in the class is also dedicated in loving memory of Joel Rishti, Alava Shalom, Lilu Nishmat Yosef Ben Le'ah, sponsored by his sister Robin Beda. The week of Cobra is dedicated in honor of Rachel Sayed, sponsored by her children, the original, uh, the original cold brew king, who then passed the torch or shared the torch with uh, our current uh, cold brew king, uh, David Esh, who we'd like to welcome back from his trip abroad. Yeah, about 100%. So we have uh, uh, two people sharing the cold brew crown. As well, uh, we also have a refuah shilema uh, for Moshe Ben Shoshana, Moshe Tueg, uh, sponsored by Silvana and William uh, uh, Mander. Bezat Hashem, we should be zocheh to see and to hear good news uh, in their, uh, in their uh, situation. My friends, let's begin. <laughs> In every year, pretty, pretty, pretty much, the parasha of Balak winds up falling in the proximity of Shiva Asar um, In a leap year, especially, sorry, in a, in a, in a non-leap year, it also always falls out in the week before Shiva Asar but it's always within that week, before, after, of the Shiva Asar And our rabbis ask, why, what is the correlation between the parasha and that which takes place during that week. Our rabbis teach us that there's always a connection to be made between the parasha and, uh, and what's going on. Uh, whether it's uh, the holidays in the calendar, whether it's the people's specific um, uh, events in their life. So there's always something to be learned from the parasha to what's going on in that moment and the energy and the lessons that are there are designed to be able to lift us up to educate us, to guide us, and to correct us. So why is it specifically that Parashat Balak uh, intersects in the calendar at this time, the beginning of the three weeks? And the answer that they give is actually very interesting. Because in this week's parasha, we find the many kilalot that Bil'am attempts to rain down on the head of the Jewish people. And as we learn in Devarim, when Moshe Rabbeinu was revisiting this period in time, he says, And God did not want to listen to Bil'am. God took the curses that were intended from Bil'am and He turned the curses around and He turned them into blessings. Now what's so interesting today is that this after, I need to run actually straight, straight away after the class this morning, because I'm going back uh, for the wedding of Mark, uh, what's going to be Mark and Flora Sitbez, uh, later this afternoon. So we find that at the weddings of Jewish people, uh, we, we read over specifically the curses that Bil'am attempted to give that were changed into blessings. Matobu Beautiful, reminds us of a wedding. Who said those words? That which is now used as a beracha for the Jews? Bil'am, in his attempt to curse, God forced that kilala to turn into a beracha. And not only that, we use that beracha 
at the highest of our moments. My friends, if that's the case, since God turns curses into blessings in this week's parasha, it was, it was incredibly important that the beginning of the saddest time of our year, a time of Kilala, a time of Galut, should intersect with, the pow- with this week's parasha, which carries within it the power to transform Kilala into Beracha. I want to perhaps take a deeper look uh, at this idea. Emmanuel, can I trouble you for the Beracha that you give me every, uh, every uh, breakfast in the class? Now, I want to transform, if I can, this conversation, not just from a bystander mode, you know, where Bilam's trying to give curses, where Balak is trying to give curses, and Hashem's like, nope, not going to happen. Matobu alecha Yaakov. You know, not going to happen. You know, tamut uh, nefshi, uh, I should die the way the Jewish people die. All the wonderful things that wind up coming out of the mouth. Lo hibit aven biyakov, lo ra'amal Israel. All these wonderful things that come out uh, from the attempt to, to say curses. I want to share something very different for a second, which I think is much more germane to the concept of turning an internal kilala into a beracha. And let's analyze what that means. There are five parashiyot in our Torah which are named after a human being. The first parasha we all know is Noach. The second parasha, Yitro. Okay? Sorry, what did you say? Chayes Sarah is not her name. Her name is Sarah. Right? Five parashiyot which are named after the name. Noach. Yitro. Pinchas. Korach. And Balak. Those are our five. Now what's interesting is that each one of, of the ones that precede Balak, one can understand why they get a parasha. Noach is a tzaddik, right? Yitro, he converts to Judaism. He gives Moshe this wonderful idea of uh, creating the judging system. I understand. Pinchas, Eliyahu Anavi, does a tremendous act of zealotry, saves the Jewish people from, from the plague. I get it. Even Korach, at the time that the parasha begins, Vayikach Korach, at that moment, Korach was a righteous man, he was a wise man, he was a, a, a what's it called, a Navi. I get that you're going to name the parasha after him. But Balak, even before the parasha began, began, he had nothing. So at its inception, Balak is an evil man. Why would Balak merit to have a parasha named after him in the Torah? Interesting question, correct? I'm going to make the question even uh, more powerful. Who does the parasha revolve around more? Balak or Bilam? Bilam. So if you think that the story is so powerful that we need to learn a lesson, or even that we need to learn a lesson about the Kilala turning to the Beracha, I would imagine that you learn that from whom? From Bilam, not from... Not from Balak. The answer, my friends, is beautiful. The answer is that something actually comes out of Balak. Out of Bilam comes nothing. But something actually comes out of Balak. Who is the great-great-granddaughter of Balak? 
Root HaMoaviyah. Out of Barak comes Root, who's going to become the grandmother of David HaMelech. Ergo, the grandmother of Mashiach, the savior of the Jewish people. And in what merit does Barak merit to have such an illustrious granddaughter, such an illustrious lineage come from him? What is his merit? And our rabbis tell us something unbelievable. If you look at the parasha, every time uh, Balak asks Bil'am to curse the Jewish people, what does he do? He erects a mizbeach and he slaughters animals to God as a korban, as a sacrifice to Hashem. And each place he goes to, he tries again, doesn't work. Goes to another place, tries again, doesn't work. Goes to another place, tries again. How many korbanot does Balak bring to God? 42 korbanot he brings to God. Now Balak was not an idiot. Balak knew what he was doing. In fact, Al-Chachamim tell us that he was called Balak ben Sipor because he used his, uh, his kohot, his powers of Tum'ah, his powers of divination, using a, using a bird, etc. That's why it's called Ben Zippor, to understand and to recognize everything the Jewish people had done to the Emori. He didn't even see it, but he was able to see it with his powers of divination. So he's not a simple man. He knows the score, but he understands that he is powerless, and all the idols in the world are powerless to be able to stand up against HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he brings these sacrifices to God, 42 sacrifices. And in the merit of those 42 korbanot, he merits to have, to have as a great-great-granddaughter, Ruth HaMoaviyah. Now my friends, a person has to look at this and say to themselves, what is going on? What was Balak's intention in bringing these korbanot? His intention was one thing and one thing only, to destroy, to decimate, to wipe out the Jewish people completely. That's his only drive, his only conscious intention here. Why would he be rewarded for doing something which is so clearly a sin? His intentions are genocide. And I think that there's something here, I feel, that is so powerful, a lesson, that it merited Balak a parasha in the Torah. And this, my friends, is that lesson. We are aware of an idea that says, mitoch shelo lishma ba lishma. When a person does something for the wrong reasons, eventually, ba lishma, they come to do it for the right reasons. So as an example, let's say as a child you go to shul, because they're having a raffle, they're raffling off a Nintendo Switch. Okay. But now, you come one week, two weeks, three weeks, four months, three months, eight months, ten months, a year. Now you're used to coming to shul. Now you have friends in shul. Now you're hooked on the breakfast. Maybe even the breakfast and the class. Before you know it, you might as well admit it. You're addicted to love. Chalas, you're done. You're balishma. Most people think that that's what mitoch shalolishma balishma means. And they think that when the Gemara says, Le'olam ya'asok adam b'turam isvot, a person 
should engage in Torah mitzvot shalolishma, even for the wrong reasons. Why? Shemitoch shalolishma ba'lishma, because you know eventually you'll come around to it. Eventually you'll get the bug. Eventually your intentions will turn pure. But sometimes people will tell you, Rabbi, look, I get it. I know what you want. I can't. No matter how many times I come to shul, it's never going to work. No matter how many times, you know, I, you try, I come to the class, Rabbi, I have a drink, I eat the dinner, I don't focus. I'm so ADHD, they added an extra H to my name. Just like Sarah Imenu. <laughs> okay? They added the extra A for me. I'm attention deficit, hyper, hyper disorder. I'm so ADHD, I can't even get to the end of telling you what it stands for because I'm onto something else. Okay? It's not going to work, Rabbi. What we learned from Balak is that in Balak's life, it never comes lishma. But mitoch shelo lishma, ba lishma. Something came out of it that was pure. Not in his lifetime even. Not in the lifetime of his children or his children's children or his children's 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 children. But however many generations down the line, something beautiful happened from it. Now, the fact that Balak brought 42 korbanot is something that I think is so beautiful. Because if you will remember, in the very first classes that we gave on Parashat Bamidbar, we learned a very interesting idea. And the Jewish people sojourn through the desert, through the Midbar, to reach Eretz Israel. And we described at the time the epic journey of the Jewish people from Egypt to Eretz Israel as being a simile, a metaphor um, for the fact that a person always must go on a journey uh, from servitude to independence, from animalistic, uh, pre-programmed behavior to the perfect world that is Yir'eh Shalem, Yerushalayim. And the journey from that place is through Bamidbar, and as we explained according to Kabbalistic sources, Bamidbar stands for Bet Mem Davar, 42 things. How many stops do the Jewish people go through on their journey through the desert? There's 42 different stops on the journey, indicating that there's 42 different markers on a person's journey, no matter who they are, when they're born, or where they start from. There's a journey that you go on. And in this journey, a person visits many different things, and encounters many different problems, and finds many different failures that eventually lead them to perfection. Balak went on one such journey. And it took him 42 different korbanot until he eventually realized that there was no way to outsmart God. Now, while in the local circumstance, his 42 korbanot didn't do anything, because Hashem his kilala did not serve him well, it didn't achieve anything. The fact that he'd learned that there was no way to outsmart God, it raised within him a kernel, a seed of emunah in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That this was not a God that you could outsmart 
or that you could bribe or that you could change. And that seed was planted in his genetic material to the point that when Ruth HaMoaviyah is now faced with a circumstance where Naomi says to her, there's nothing here, there's no money, there's no future, there's no power. Ruth understands that no matter what, if I don't get married, if I'm buried, if I suffer pain and punishment, you know, whether you die, I will die. Where you are buried, I will be buried. She understands the immutability, the uh, inescapable nature of God's truth. What Balak did not understand or achieve in his journey was still saved for him for future generations. And mitoch shelo lishma ba'lishma. You're praying and you don't feel like it? Pray anyway. You're doing a mitzvah and it doesn't make you so happy? Do it anyway. You're studying Torah and it's not switching you on, you're not getting excited? First, try and find a way of getting excited. Go to a different class. Find a different topic. But if you can't, and it's you're not in the mood, it doesn't matter. Push through it. Because ultimately, there is absolute value to those things. Let me ask you a question. Imagine you were doing a job, you really didn't like it that much, but you were incredibly successful at it. There are two roads to take in such a scenario. A person could decide, you know what? You know, work some way you like and you'll never work a day in your life. That's good advice. If you can afford that advice. If the job that you love can actually generate income for you. Not everyone is blessed in this life to be able to do a job that they love. Not everyone. You have a job and it's really successful. So maybe you, you start to learn to develop your feelings of satisfaction, of meaning and of purpose outside of your work life. And you understand that your working life actually, that the process of making money shifts from an end in and of itself to become a means to an end. You think I like every part of being a rabbi? I don't. But there's some parts of it that I love so much that I'm willing to put up with the other parts. You know who you are, no joking. <laughs> and the funny thing is, you know what happens along the way? Along the way, not only do you start to tolerate the super difficult people, you start to learn to love it. Not, not just as a challenge to be cracked, but to understand that the guy that's really easy and they need no maintenance and you, they ask you an easy question, you give them an easy question, great. But you're not growing from that person. The person whose only question is, what parasha is it this week? He didn't grow from. When you have someone who challenges you, who asks you questions, who maybe respectfully corrects you without trying to get you, but that's a person you grow from, you learn from. But what's required is a shift in perspective to see those challenging people 
and those challenging circumstances and those failures not as something that describes your time invested as a waste of time but rather as something that you gained something from immeasurably and I always think to myself how Balak feels like such a failure after this moment look at what I did I went all, the, all out I brought all the korbanot I got Bilam it didn't work could you imagine the shock that Balak gets in the world to come when everything he did was a failure and everything that he thought was a success he's punished for and the one thing that he gets a modicum of reward for is the thing that he thought was his biggest failure what if we could switch the way we looked at life itself and maybe perhaps that is the greater interpretation of these words that come out of Moshe's mouth in Devarim. Velo ava Hashem and God, Hashem your God, did not want to listen to Bilam. Hashem lebracha. Not just that he turned the kilala, the words of Bilam that were coming out of his mouth into a biracha, but God took the korbanot of Balak. And what did he do? How did he reward Balak? How did that turn in Balak's favor? God even turned the reward for Balak's intention into a biracha that was a biracha for Balak and a biracha for the Jews. Let me give you an alternate version of how that could have went. Balak could have been rewarded with a super righteous woman called Shmut Moaviyah who never marries into the Jewish people. But she's just a tzaddiket that lives in Moab. You remember when Moshe comes into Eretz Israel and the spies, uh, Moshe says to them, go look, see if there's any righteous Gentiles over there that will cause that, the Jew, that the, they should be protected and we should lose the wars that we have to wage against them. She could have been a righteous amongst the nations. And that not only not have benefited the Jewish people, but could have hurt the Jewish people. God took even that, and He turned that into a beracha, not just for Barak, but for us. One of the craziest powers that God has is that He lives in a very different reality to us. For us, our reality is linear. You know, they tell a story about this woman who's screaming, going crazy, a simple woman from a little village you know, back in the day, she'd never seen a newspaper in her life. She couldn't read or write. She comes into, a, into her cousin's house in the big city, and she, they hand her the newspaper, and she's looking at the newspaper, and she starts shrieking, and she's screaming, and she's yelling. And everyone's like, what's going on? And she's crying, and, and they say, is everything okay? And she points at the newspaper, and she says, look, it's the train from my town. She points at the picture. And there's, she can see the, the marking, you know, with the logo of her town. And the train is upside down, turned upside down. And she's screaming, uh, who knows who of her friends are on that train that flipped over? Does she have family members? Who's dead? Who's injured? What's going on? You need to get me back home immediately. And the family's just looking at her and she's like, why are you not reacting? And she's screaming, carrying on. And just wordlessly, silently, her nephew takes the nurse newspaper and he turns it around. 
and the train is no longer upside down. It's on the tracks the way it's supposed to be, but she doesn't read. So she doesn't know that the letters would have indicated that the picture should be held right side up instead of upside down. That is us, my friends, in our life. We can't read the messages that live in our world because they're written in a language that we don't understand, that only Borei Olam, only a God who is above time, who sees before, during, and after, can actually see. So for us, we look at the pictures of our life and we see tragedy and we see kilala, but God says, leave the future to me. You focus on doing the right thing in the present. And you know what? Even if in your present it doesn't look like what you did worked out all that well, God will turn You and I have a job during the three weeks. And it is singular in purpose and powerful in nature. And that is to reconnect with our brothers, to stop machloket, to make shalom, uh, to end uh, ridiculous in-house fighting, stupid disagreements, petty jealousies. That's our job. And there are so many of us who... We don't see it that way. There's an organization in Israel who is very, very heavily invested in rebuilding all of the vessels of the Beit HaMikdash. They want to build the third temple. They want to take care of everything. And, you know, they really want to get it. And I think that the idea is wonderful. But there's one thing I disagree with them on. One thing. I think it's lovely to prepare all these things so that when Mashiach comes, we have them ready. Love, I love that idea. But if you think that rebuilding the temple is about building the vessels and about building the walls, you have not been paying attention. Because you know what? There was a time when we had the vessels and the walls were built. And what did God do with that temple? With its finished vessels and built walls, He destroyed it. And He destroyed it as we know because there was hatred and fighting amongst us. Stop trying to fix it with your language. God will figure out already how to fix it. You know, if the genie can make things happen so long as it's three wishes, what do you think God can create with the snap of his fingers? He created the world by saying the words he or. Don't you think he can make the, the vessels of the Beit HaMikdash appear in no time at all? That's not the way to rebuild the temple. God says, you focus on your job, I'll do mine. Vayafoch Hashem Elokecha God took the kilala and flipped it around. And I always love saying this. What did God do? What did God do? You see, Bil'am, who was the origin source of this kilala, his letters of his name, they spell exactly what's wrong with our time. Mem, Ayn, Lamed, Bet. Spells the word in Hebrew, Me'alev. Not Me'alev. Even though when Israelis talk, they eliminate the letter and the sound hey from words. You know? <laughs> right? Sorry? Embarrass. It means to embarrass. Mem, Ayn. Me'alev means to embarrass someone. When we are embarrassing one another, the story of Kamtza Bar Kamtza, then 
even if we have all the beracha in the world, you know what God does? He turns the beracha to kalala. But when we rearrange those words, those letters, the letters of Bil'am's name also spell the words Lev Am, which means the heart of a nation. Now there are different possibilities in a person's life. A person could live with Lev Am, with a heart that beats with desire, with love, with connection for every single person in his nation. Or they could be a person that's constantly looking at everyone in the people, at every other d- division and faction on Israel, and trying to put them down. Which is it? Kilala or Beracha? It's up to you. Which would you rather? Which world do you want to live in? And once we understand that those are our possibilities, then we understand that if we're just doing ours in the right way, the right thing will happen from the right moves. Even if we don't see how they will work. Even like Balak, if we don't see how they are producing the results that we desire. Ultimately, the thing that we wanted the most will come from going on the journey, from attempting to make those 42 stops or bringing those 42 korbanot. Ask yourself in your life, what things do I need to give up? What challenges do I need to face? In what ways do I need to become better? Well, why should I be kind, Rabbi? If she's not being kind, she's on her journey. You're on yours. But he, he never apologized. That's his problem. Ultimately, you do yours, God will do his. May God bless us in all of our deeds, in all of our thoughts, in all of our actions to experience beracha in our lives. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.